something outside. What is that? Giants talking old timers with Thomas Steenberg, the one, the only, the original Thomas. And he is in the studio with me. How are you doing, Thomas? I'm doing just fine. Julie, doing just fine. We're here, here enjoying what we call on the West Coast the Pineapple Express, where it's five degrees above freezing and hopefully it'll hang around a while. The only drawback is it rains continuously. <laughs> Oh, Lord. How long does that normally last? Sometimes it lasts all winter. Oh. Uh, well, I guess you re- guys... Yeah, it's a major reason the trees here on the West Coast are so big. Uh, yeah. Because it rains more often than it snows, yeah. Wow. So it's kind of like a tropical rainforest without the tropics. Yeah, sure. We, we're not getting anything that California's been getting. Yeah, that's been awful. Just mm. awful. Well, we've got some cold weather here down in North Carolina uh, recently. Some of the coldest on record. Um, so I'm hoping that's behind us now. And tomorrow we're going to be pushing 70 degrees. And that's going to be nice because we were down to like um, below zero with wind chill factors for a couple nights. A couple of weeks ago, when that blizzard hit up in Buffalo, New York, real bad and all that, that storm that came through. So, yeah, I'm over winter. Um, but, uh, well, I'll tell you what, we've, we've got a really good show for our listeners tonight. Um, we have a, a special guest that I've been wanting to get on the show for a while, and we finally were able to schedule you know, him in. And I'll tell you, he's got a lot on his plate. Um he does all kinds of things involved in the Sasquatch field. Um, his his name is, and a lot of you are going to know him, Dan Nadrello, and he's from Wisconsin. And I'd like to welcome you onto the show, Dan. How are you? Doing fine. Thank you. Good. We appreciate you coming onto the show, and... Um, you know, what I wanted to do is, is have you give us um, an idea about some of your your history. Um, I know that you have a bachelor's degree in vertebrae zoology, the focus on wildlife biology, which is very interesting. So if you could tell us some more about you, that would be great. Sure. I uh, started out in a <clears throat> situation where, I, like most kids, like dinosaurs problem there weren't any so uh-huh. what's left 
it turned out to be reptiles and amphibians, and that happened to be what captured my interest. So by the time I was in third grade, I wanted to be a herpetologist. Basically study reptiles and amphibians, crocs, gators, uh, venomous snakes, and all that good stuff. And uh, travel as much as I could. And luckily some of that turned out. Um, by the time I hit fifth grade, my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Weber, said the word abominable snowman. And it happened to be primates were kind of my second interest, and uh, especially the giant ones. And lo and behold, what we got here? So I immediately went to the encyclopedias and looked, and by golly, there was something called a Yeti that lived in the Himalayas. And I started studying that immediately. And it wasn't uh, that literally that same year. We had the Patty film, it was 67. And uh, <laughs> my goodness, maybe I don't have to go to the Himalayas. One thing led to another, and I started going through the literature search and uh, found Ivan T. Sanderson's book, studied and read that as much as I could, and found out about John Green. And it wasn't too long before I was reading every account I could find starting in fifth grade. Um, but since I could find reptiles and not Sasquatches, that was my focus. Uh, right. So about seventh grade, now that's you. Wow. And you... um. You've actually had uh, field work with National Wildlife Federation, Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources. Um, you've, you've contracted, I know, with the DOT, the Nature Conservancy, and Department of Army as an uh, assessment biologist, you know, determining population status for key endangered species. So I know that you have a, you know, a great passion for out the outdoors conservancy. So it's very interesting that you landed in this this interest of Sasquatch with all that knowledge. I couldn't help it. Now, the, the biggest frustrating part was you couldn't talk to adults about it. I didn't find one adult that would entertain me seriously about the subject. So I was mom all the way up through college. And once into college, I was looking for people in the wildlife field to talk about it. Nobody. Just mm -hmm. being laughed at the whole time. So I just was totally mum about it for till I was well into my 20s. Wow. That's interesting. <laughs> I and I know that you had actually been with the BFRO. Um, and most people know what that is. But for anyone who may not, it's the Bigfoot Research Organization. Um created by Matt Moneymaker, and you probably know his name from the Finding Bigfoot TV show. Um, but you were involved with the BFRO for four years, and then you became an independent researcher. I, I know about your work with the Art and Data Sasquatch Witness group. That's on Facebook, along with Wild Man Literature. Um, but the artwork that, you know, Dan is a photographer and an artist, by the way, and he works with Alex Evans and Sibylla Irwin. Now, they also specialize in Sasquatch Witness description art, if you will. They they will draw um, for based on witnesses' encounters, what they saw. It's almost like doing like a, a, a sketch artist would for the police department, only it's they're, you know, the witnesses are telling a story about what they saw, and then they create what they believe they had seen. 
And both of those just lovely ladies. I just really love their work. Shout out to Alex and Sabella for what they do. Um, but I mean, I, I don't know how you find the time <laughs> to do all this. That, that's part of the problem. There just simply isn't. So you end up doing fractional things and, and trying to engage with others to help fulfill some of the things that we want to do. Um, like for example, now when I'm done with this, I've got a I've got an interview online I need to deal with, and then tomorrow morning I need to be at the Illinois border about nine o'clock in the morning for another interview with a gal who had seen a juvenile uh, with Irish setter red colored hair, and uh, wow. I'm just trying to I'm trying to maintain as many interviews as I can, and uh, one of the projects I hopefully will have done by the time. Um, or in the near future, i got to get back to her, but Suzanne Forensic, however she pronounces her last name, I haven't got it done Jack. yet. But anyway, she had the, uh, yeah, there we go. She had the observation of the black thing that jumped across the road, and I thought I would mm-hmm. try to illustrate that for her. mentioned that to her last night. She seemed interested. So, you know, there's all kinds of things to do, and there's all kinds of things to learn about, and uh, there's so much information that is simply in question. And basically what happened to me was in seventh grade, we were bopping around in a palm forest at a church camp. We were at night. Everybody had a flashlight. There were probably 35 students and, and the uh, the lead adult. And something was on the lake edge hiding and darting behind the vegetation and not showing itself uh, with all these flashlights. But it was hissing like what I would call a bull snake or pine snake, genus Pituophis. But it was so loud, it was unbelievable. I have never, ever heard anything like that since. And I've been throughout the United States at night, running around in Costa Rica and Australia, Tasmania and Canada, and I'm still waiting to hear that. Wow. uh, so, so, So I didn't see it. But I do have some friends in Michigan with the Michigan Recording Project, and, and I've been told that they have similar uh, similar vocals that would match that. So I'm looking to make a match there and review it. I've heard some things that are very close, and that might be it. But anyway, they definitely have Sasquatch. They've got the footprints and, and visuals as well. And uh, wow. so that's pretty much what started me off on my journey. That was like a kick in the pants, and it's like, wow, what else is out there they didn't tell us about? <laughs> Right. Well, that's very interesting. Um, but you say that it didn't. You couldn't see what it was. Did it sound like it was something large? Yes. Hmm. In what state was this in? Wisconsin. Was in Oh yeah. Okay. A little bit about Wisconsin. I just wanted. To, I took a few notes and I just wanted to share that. One, we have. 24,000 black bear here. 24,000? 24,000. Wow. We have 1.6 million deer, and we have over 1,000 wolves. So we do have wilderness here. Uh, Our population is 5.9 million, and, uh, you know, it's interesting because – a state like Ohio has has got a lot uh, double, 12 million. So it does take eyes to make the reports, 
and looking over at Iowa, there, there's only 3 million people in Iowa, 3.2. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of land that these things can run on, and uh, the Midwest has simply been overlooked, I think. But we do have a lot of resources. So. Yeah, because, you know, like a lot of people, when they talk about Bigfoot, they think about Washington State, and they think about California, you know, um, a lot of people that I have interviewed, that we've interviewed on our show here have said, you know, growing up they knew about Bigfoot being in California but didn't think it was anywhere else. So you're right, it is overlooked. Um, but let me um, – I know we've got a lot to cover, and this will probably be part one of a two-part show for our listeners because um, there's just so much. But let's get into um, – what happened in 2019, what sure. you saw, you said you had a night vision camera? Uh, Randy Harrington did, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. What, what happened? And and tell us where you were. I uh, will do that. Okay. First of all, in 2018, I had met up with Shane Carpenter, and I'd been interested in working with him because he'd been doing some pretty interesting things in Missouri. And uh, he took some time before he let me in, but he finally said, come on over. And so we met in 2018. 2019, we had it set up. I could come down in July. I happened to be teaching college that particular day and got some animals put away. I maintained animals for educational purposes, lyceums, uh, environmental education, conservation, et cetera. So I'm on the road by about 2.30 in the afternoon, driving through Iowa and through Missouri, heading toward the Arkansas border. And uh, by the time I get down there, it's 2.30 in the morning. And, uh, you know, a 12-hour drive, that'll kind of take it out of you. And uh, Shane came and picked me up, took me into the location. And uh, he's thinking, well, you just drove so much, you probably want to put it away, right? And I'm like, are you kidding? Prime hour. So we grabbed the thermals and walked down a path, and uh, Randy was scanning left and right just to make sure that we, you know, just in case we were being watched because they knew of some of the individuals on that property that they were studying. And by golly, if we didn't have a suspect uh, peeker uh, looking over some debris at about 100 paces, and uh, finally decided, well, this probably what we're looking for, probably one of the juveniles. And you couldn't see real well, but you could certainly see head and shoulders. And uh, <clears throat> what happened was Shane decided to go in on it. And so we we uh, helped him do that. And it was kind of an argumentative situation because, one, do you, do you really want to push something that you are looking to, to research? If you push it too hard, you might not have much of a response. And um, anyway, in he went. And uh, he got to within 78 feet of this individual. And it was dark and uh, very, very uh, black and ape-like and just laid in the grass. And he sat and looked at it for a while, took a step back, came back again. And by now we've got a little bit of teeth chattering and we have a rock thrown. Doesn't hit him. That's pretty much enough. There's obviously there's some defensive or agitation going on. We don't want to push these guys. So he turned around and came back. We kind of high-fived and t- 
and and uh, went back to camp. That night, the audio picked them up coming into camp, so we didn't agitate them too much. Uh, we had two 10-inch prints and another that was a little bit bigger, say in the 12, 13, and then there was a big male with a 15-inch print. Uh, I didn't get to see him. Um, I did uh, get to see another individual on a hill later on during the visit that I was there, and that was actually crawling. And we, you know, the resolution in these cameras are not perfect, but they can certainly show you the silhouette and the and um, what you're looking at. And so you've either got a a person out there in the middle of nowhere um, in the dark, or you've got the target species. And with the tracks that we were getting. It's pretty obvious. Hmm. Now, I know Thomas probably has some questions. I bet he does. Okay, Dan, just to clarify for our audience, are you, are you actually a wildlife biologist? I have worked as a wild, wildlife survey biologist in the past, yes. Okay, and uh, tell us, uh, just to clarify, since you mentioned the fellows, who OMS is? That would be Ozark Mountain Sasquatch. And that okay. is headed up by Shane Carpenter and Randy Harrington. We also have Gary Schutte as our web, web developer and uh, general information guy. And this is the group you were with when you, ha when you uh, had this encounter in 2019? Yes. This is my first meeting with them, incidentally. Amazingly. Yes. And you've done work with them since? I have, yes. Okay. Now, the night you said you saw tracks, uh, could, can you describe the tracks for us? I can. Elongated heel, longer toes, uh, very human-like in many ways. Uh, the uh, set that we've been working with that, that gives us the most information is uh, along the edge of a wetland, kind of a streamside. And what's interesting is there's a lot of them. And so they've got over 30 casts from two different individuals for comparison. And so we're in the process of trying to evaluate that now. Okay. And uh, what were the dimensions of the, of the footprints? The footprints that we've got are uh, the, the first ones were just a tad over 10 inches. And mm -hmm. the, the set from this year are 9.5 to 9.75, okay. depending upon the substrate. Yes. And is there anything in particular about these tracks that suggests to you that they are not human, but rather from an unknown biped? Uh, just the, first of all, the, the accounting visuals that we have. Mm -hmm. so, so, so that's the start of it. Second is, if you, if you look at the feet, they, they definitely have more of an elongated heel. And I do have a, I believe I sent a picture of a cast to Julie. I'm hoping mm -hmm. that it could come up. Okay. And Yeah, uh, that'll be on the um, slide show for the, on the podcast itself. When our viewers will be able to take a look at it because it'll be part of that slide show. Okay, very good. Very good. Um, as, as far, I'm not a foot specialist guy yet, but I'm in training, you could say. And, uh. Whatever made these tracks did it in the dark, and they were after shellfish, uh, like like mussels. 
And uh, this is a repeat behavior that we've gotten several years. Uh, There are other tracks as well that are a little bit larger that have been cast. Uh, Dr. Meldrum has looked at them. And uh, in time, more and more people will have a chance to review them as well. So that's what I've got for you, Thomas. Well, Roger that, sir. Were they five-toed or three-toed? Five. Okay. I, okay, because I've heard a lot of reports over the years down around Arkansas and area of three-toed tracks. Of course, you know about the Falk monster and all that and the history of that. Sure. Yeah, sure. but these were all five-toed. Yep, these are conventional footprints, you bet. Right, roger that. Now, uh, when you were observing the thing, was this source a, a FLIR camera or just a, 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 a starlight scope? It was a FLIR. It was a FLIR. Okay. So you're you're picking up heat. Yeah. Yes. What did you see in the lens uh, when you were looking at it? Pretty much head and shoulders. Okay. So I did not get a great view, but as as mentioned, Shane went in on it, mm-hmm. and then he was able to see the individual from close distance. Was Shane carrying one, too, or, or at the time? No, he was not, unfortunately. Did he see it in the dark, or did he have a flashlight, or what was he doing? He had a flashlight. Okay. And in his opinion, it wasn't some homeless guy out there? Uh, absolutely not, no. Okay. So, this is definitely an unverified primate. Mm-hmm. And you think there was more than one of them? Uh, we know that, yes. Okay. And how many, uh, when you were looking at the tracks, you, I guess you're uh, assuming you you came across footprints of at least two individuals. Yes. Over time, we've got two. Right now, we've got a, a six-inch, a new six-inch print. Mm-hmm. A, about a four, about a fourteen inch print, and a nine and a half or nine point seven five inch print. Now the last we were in the field, on a regular basis, we had a an adult, well a a, a large male, in the fifteen inch category. We had a, another one that was in the thirteen fourteen inch category, and then we had two ten inch individuals. One was a little bit bigger than the other. Uh, these so are individuals. That, was from, just, that was from two and a half years ago. Okay, yeah, that's what I was going to uh, clarify. You're, you're describing other incidents other than the one we were just talking about. Right. Okay, now the, the night of the incident, you thought you had two individuals. Uh, you said they were coming into your camp? Yes. The audio what? picked it up, and there oh. was a imprint on a hand wipe with a finger the mm-hmm. first night. The second night, we took the four-wheeler up the hill, hoping to find the male. We hung up there for a number of hours. We did not get in an engagement. And from there, we came back down the hill. Before we went to bed, Randy checked the audio, and yes, they've been here. In the morning, we went through the audio, and we found vocal, uh, not so much vocals, but you could hear them going through the items on the table. You'd think, well, raccoon, obviously. Raccoons tend to make a mess. Um, you could hear them go through and hear uh, different noises with metal, and they got to the medical bag and zipped and unzipped it 18 times. 
and the cooler was opened, and appropriately, they took six monster cappuccinos. Now, what's interesting about that is, first of all, that's silly, but uh, Shane has never found any of the cans, so we don't know where those ended up. And he's been on the property significantly over the years. Did did anyone pop their head out to see what was rummaging around in the camp? Nope. Sorry, sir. We were sleeping. (laughs) So this all happened. Everything happened in the darkness. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Just just last month. What kind of noises did you you said you heard? What's that? Was there, was there any type of um, did you hear any like uh, heavy breathing any any type of clicking sound anything like that with that audio from that night? Well, we have to check with Randy on that. It's been quite a few years, and I haven't uh, I haven't reviewed it. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some general uh, vocals that accompany it. Probably very subtle. They seem to be very quiet. We did get wood, wood knocks on a, on a fairly frequent, um, <clears throat> frequent. Uh, you know, while you're there, you'll hear them once in a while. But again, you know how it is with the woods. You get trees cracking, and you get numerous other things. We're pretty familiar with pileated woodpeckers, but uh, you know, there's there's all kinds of things that can make noise in the woods. So, so unless you see it, you don't know for sure. Okay, right. so just to. All right, just to clarify for our audience again, you were all sleeping, uh, and yet all these noises. You you were recording the camp with an audio yeah. recorder of some kind while you were sleeping. Yes. Okay, that's what I wanted to clarify because if you're all sleeping, how do you know the bag was unzipped so this time? It's like yeah, no, that's picked up on that's picked up and logged on on audio. So okay, uh, we're virtually every second we're there, there's audio going. And not just one mic, but a number of them. You know, I'm going to make a suggestion to all Sasquatch researchers out there. If you have uh, uh, trail cams with you, it may be a good idea to set them up in your camp at night to <laughs> keep an eye on things while you're sleeping. Well, I think you've got a good point there. Yeah. And uh, as you bring that up, I have to introduce this. What happened this year was the way we found the uh, the way they found the uh, six inch print and the fourteen inch print, we were just getting the nine and a half inch uh, upon our return this year. And uh, one day Randy was there alone driving the four wheeler by, and a rock was thrown at him. It hit the vehicle, and he got out, noted the location. Well, later they came in and looked through the location. They found several things. One, six inch footprint. Two, 14-inch footprint. Three, I believe the nine and a half was also in that area. And then they found a rock laying on a rock, laying on a rock. So somebody or something put that there. So that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds to me there's only two possibilities, Sasquatch or people. I agree. Yeah. Now, uh, did how long were you guys, uh, this incident in 2019, how many days were you there? Well, that was in 2019, so I would have to say we were there at least three days. 
Okay, now did, was everything just, or did it carry on? Well, it, those guys continue to go back and forth and mm. capture audio. This is a building uh, uh, attempt to acquire as much sound as we can, acquire as many tracks as we can, and as many visuals as we can. So you feel this is an area that may have constant activity? Uh, certainly through the month, yes. Mm. Exactly what the exactly what the frequency of visitation is, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And is the rest of the guys with the OMS in agreement with you? One more time? Or the rest of the boys in the OMS, do they basically agree with you? Oh yeah. Okay. And we'll be we'll be getting back together in April. And before mm-hmm. that, we'll be. Oh, incidentally, Thomas, we do have a drone now. Um, oh, the, drone is, the drone is significant. Wow. We'll be using the drone uh, to acquire heat signatures, and then to work with that in coordinating position and hopefully increasing the likelihood of uh, observations. Sounds excellent. That's, That's interesting. Goal. Mm-hmm. Trying to learn as much as we can and use as much technology as possible. So it's a constant, ongoing uh, enterprise that's uh, tweaking and retweaking. Dan, you said something that um, you know I've heard a lot of times about rocks being thrown, and I'm asking this. This is just an an, an opinion. This would just be your opinion sure. because you know we're. We're talking about a creature here that's not been scientifically verified, so we can't say, oh, this is why, blah, blah. But in your opinion, having worked, you know, in the the field of biology, what is the purpose, you might think, of them throwing rocks at people? I think there's a wide variety of uh, stimulus responses. One, I I think the juveniles have a tendency to throw smaller rocks and uh, pine cones and twigs and things like that to just catch reactions of people, you know? So I've got a relative that actually was in a garden and had things thrown. Um, Not to hurt, but to, eh, we're messing with you. We want to see what you're up to. We want to see how you react. And then we have situations where larger rocks that could hurt are thrown, and they make quite a crack on the tree. I've had this happen. I've got a four-ounce rock myself that was the first rock that I had thrown at me, and it landed by my feet. Um, one of Shane's policies, it's interesting. I hope he doesn't mind that I say this, but when he brings people in, uh, which is relatively rare, if somebody does get hit by a rock of any sizable, uh, of any size, there's real questions about whether or not that person should even be there. So we're really trying to look at our behavior. Uh, We're trying to look at being uh, very, I wouldn't say submissive, but more curious and interesting than aggressive and and, uh, negative. Uh, I've got a lot of uh, anecdotal information from friends or colleagues or or, uh, basically connections I've made to talk about incidences of argument, and that seemed to cause an agitation to the target species. Uh, some people have associated them with autism, which makes you think, my goodness, they have perhaps uh, heightened sense of awareness with hearing 
possible that they're so curious they have to look, but they're so nervous and agitated by some of the things they do that we do that that it makes them upset. And what um, knowing might be an offshoot of that. Julie, I don't know if that helps, but that's yeah, that's, that's a part of an insight that I've I've gotten over the years. In other words, a combination of curiosity and extreme elusiveness. I would say so, yes. Mm -hmm. But those rocks continue to be described, you know, in so many locations across the distribution of of this so-called primate. So who knows? Right. Well, I'll tell you, I I had scoffed before in the past about the rock throwing thing. Mm -hmm. And... um, but I'll tell you, when I was one time when I was over in the Uari, we were walking through the woods. It was late at night, very dark, and I heard something flying over the top of the pine trees. And these pine trees are like a hundred feet tall. Okay, the, the Carolina yeah. pines are huge. I heard. Well, we all did. There was four of us walking uh, in a line. We heard something flying over the top of those, and then this rock, oh, man, it had hit a tree to my left and ricocheted down and landed between two of us. So I, I didn't see what threw the rock, but I can tell you it came from one hell of a distance, and it was very high because it was over the top of those pine trees. And I know it hit up. Uh, in the pine tree that it hit was a, probably, a, I would say, 75 feet up that tree. Uh-huh. So that kind of, you know, that kind of got me wondering. And oh, so yeah. when people say okay. things like that, I don't I don't scoff so much anymore. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. that was kind of weird. Yeah. But well, you I also am- have to keep in, keep in mind that one of the one of the easiest things for potential hoaxers to do is hoax rock throwing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You know yeah, that firsthand, don't you, Thomas? Ever since that got uh, accepted as a, a standard uh, Sasquatch activity, uh, well, one of the major hoaxers I personally caught, I caught him rock throwing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I read that. Huh? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, however, there was there was yep. another incident where me and a bunch of boys, and this is around 2014, uh, were out in a new logging area where they were just putting in a new road because they were going to be clear cutting, and we were the road was perfect for finding tracks. We never found any tracks, but when we stopped to brew up some tea and have a bit of a break. Rocks were coming down on both sides of the road, and we searched and searched and searched and never saw what did it. My immediate suspect was a guy way up at the head of that road who was kind of like a gate watchman. He was supposed to keep people like us out of there, but he had been away when we went in. And I thought maybe he was doing it, but when we a week later when the, the place had been cut, he would have had to have been the best outfielder in baseball history to throw those rocks. To, to reach where we were, but so uh, that and these rocks were quite fair size too. So again, it's a mystery. We never saw anything, but rocks were coming down. But they're also yeah. in the history of rock throwing. They're notoriously bad shots. I've never really heard of anyone getting hit. No, I 
um, Dr. Robert Alley's book, I believe it was Raincoat Sasquatch, there, yeah. was a, there was a quote in there of a guard that got hit in the head, dropped him to the ground. He was okay. He did recover eventually. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> my goodness gracious, luckily most people don't get hit. I do know of another individual in Wisconsin that was hit. Uh, and actually, there was some concern with his health on it. So it was a good-sized rock, and it was a hit beam right to the head. So it apparently does happen, but luckily it's it's a relatively rare incident. So oh, yeah, one of the most, most interesting cases here in B.C. was a bear hunter in the Ruby Creek region in 2008. This thing was the size of a football that was chucked at him, and it splashed oh, in a he was sitting beside it. It was because of the rock splashing into the water that he looked in the direction and saw the figure moving away. And he said, if uh, that thing had me, it probably would have killed me, he thought. He probably said, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, we haven't had anything aggressive happen on the site yet that we know of. We've, we've uh, picked up some vocalizations this year that were especially intriguing. Um uh, almost like the Sierra sounds, actually. And mm-hmm. uh, that clip is actually being looked at by Dr. Scott Nelson right now and uh, eventually will become available for comparison. And we have other things that are going on that we're trying to record. We've got a, a, a television crew that came in this year as well, and we did get a visual from that. Cynthia Hill was the... Uh, uh, your producer, who uh, basically they just went downstream. You know, you got to you got to get away from people and take care of yourself once in a while. And she and the other photographer went down, and they had uh, an individual run by at about thirty yards, dark in color, no tail, um, perhaps not bigger than two hundred pounds, maybe uh, as, as light as one hundred fifty, and very very fast. So it remains unidentifiable, so we're looking at what, what are our options. A black coyote? No, no tail. A black bear? We do have black bear in the state up to 800. Uh, we don't have any reports from that particular location. Um, who knows? But it was fast and didn't have a tail and was black-haired. And that kind of jives with what Shane saw. So. So um, is activity in this particular area, is that where you're mainly concentrating on, or are you also looking in other areas? I'm personally working Wisconsin hard, and I'm actually looking at upper Midwest states. So I'm comparing, um, you know, how many many miles of streams are there in each state? And, and for example, Illinois is known for corn, and and they've all, all these upper Midwest states have good deer populations. Um, in some states, like Iowa, there's very few people, and their behavior is easily noted. A lot of the farms are abandoned. There's a lot of places to go where there aren't people. And uh, if these things are governed by uh, laws, national laws, that uh, or natural, shall we say, limiting factors, like other wildlife, my goodness, our fisheries programs are doing well. Our game populations are on the increase. We're managing wild lands much better and trying to allow for wildlife uh, corridors so that one place can lead to another. Uh, You would think there would be an increase in reports. 
And by gosh, that seems to be what's happening with more and more reports of offspring being reported. Are you actually getting reports from wildlife groups that are, have nothing to do with the Sasquatch? They're going out to do research on other things like bear activity and things like that, having encounters? I hear of it from time to time, yes. Uh, I just got a police report a number of years ago that was real interesting because it involved a man who had married my sister's best friend. And this was a late report from the 89 in western Wisconsin, and he was basically out shining deer illegally with his buddy, and he was standing in the back of the pickup, and they were shining as they drove down the private road on private property, and here was a figure standing behind five-foot-tall sapling trees, and it was at least two feet taller than the trees. They both freaked out and accelerated, but it was a, a one-way drive, so they had to turn around and come back. It was gone by that uh-huh. time. Unfortunately, the driver passed away in a car accident. This guy suppressed his report. He finally talked to somebody. They laughed at him. He didn't talk to anybody for like 15 years. Finally, he happened to talk to the very policeman that I had uh, requested reports from, and then that's how we got together for the interview. Mm-hmm. Um, I found a property. I, I was an old rattlesnake hunter. And I I was thinking about doing my master's on timber rattlesnakes, actually. When I worked for the Department of Natural Resources, they put me on uh, commercial take of snapping turtles, soft shells, and basically uh, natural history of of turtle populations in the Mississippi River. The next year, they put me on massasauga rattlers, so that's my specialty. Um, Long story short, when I was... Working in these areas, I would come across people in the DNR who had experiences. And usually it's a case of being followed. Very rarely is somebody going to admit an observation. We just had a police officer not too long ago in northern Wisconsin that had that had a observation. Uh, a friend of mine had tracks in his backyard, and it turned out that he had seen one years before up in north-central Wisconsin. Well, being a rattlesnake specialist, you get a lot of requests to talk to a lot of people because that's a subject that makes so many nervous. And I got a call on a private property one day about 2009, and they asked, uh, would you please come and remove any timber rattlers that might happen to be here? I looked all over, couldn't find a thing. We started talking about wildlife. turned out that this single woman had lived on this private property for 35 years, and uh, it's 35 now. So back then it would have been 25 years. And uh, she told me about an incident that happened when she moved in. She, they eventually got the basement fixed and the door shut. One night she was laying in bed, and uh, all of a sudden, about 2 o'clock in the morning, there was this skull-splitting scream. And it literally made her so scared she stayed paralyzed in bed. And she finally got out after about five minutes. It was like her concern was this thing's going to come through the window or the door. The wall, it's got to be what in the world? And she gets into the kitchen, and she's sitting there with her two dogs. They're just shaking. And she said rats and mice were coming up through the floorboards, and they looked like they were having problems walking around. So whatever this noise was, could it be possible it was actually affecting their uh, physical ability to move and over time the this quit after a total of about 15 minutes she never heard it again but it's just interesting because she put it on as a cougar 
And I had a lot of questions after that. So I started monitoring this house, this property, which I'm still doing, and now it's 2023. That was in 2009. My best vocalization from there that I got, I'll, I'll give you now, it sounded a little bit like this. There were two, there were dogs and coyotes up on a hill, and they were arguing. So you get your standard type interactions, canine. And I heard this. In a much lower, much low bass, vibrant vocalization than I just did. And it just literally shut it in. Canines quit. That was it. And I'm, I'm like thinking, oh, that's interesting. What could that be? I sent the recording to a couple of friends of mine that claim Sasquatch observations and presence, and they both called me up and said, congratulations, you got them. Well, I didn't see what made the call, but that's the start of some interesting things over the next decade or two. That's an interesting story about that. The um, so she said the mice were coming up out of the basement. Yes. Basically, there were cracks in the kitchen, and rodents were coming through, and and they were disoriented. They appeared disoriented and had trouble walking. That's so weird. That was her, that was her description. Huh. So it's low. It's in loud vocalizations to stun easy snacks. Apparently. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that, was, whether that was a cougar, I don't know. I didn't see it. Uh, I do know that cougar are associated with screaming at mating calls, and that's usually in winter, and this wasn't in winter. So, you know. Is this, uh, in this woman's house, is it in Wisconsin? It is. It is. Oh. Do you have cougar in Wisconsin? We do. And I've okay. actually helped document cougars since the 60s. Okay. Although official cougar wasn't wasn't uh, verified until eight years ago. But mm-hmm. I want to remind you that these cougar surveys were done through newspapers through a man named A.W. Sorger. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of ifs and questions about ghost cats that come and go that can travel from South Dakota all the way to Connecticut in a 1,600-mile jaunt at any time. So very, very mobile population, obviously. Mm-hmm. I think our first cat was verified uh, and killed in Chicago. It went through southern Wisconsin, ended up in Illinois, and a policeman in Chicago actually killed it. And that was the first official recent modern time mountain lion verification since game came was it identified as a western cougar or was it uh, thought to be gone eastern puma nope nope western we seem to have migrants coming from the nebraska south dakota area and that's on a regular basis yes so there's a lot of unknowns i'll give you an example of our wolves we had a uh female that was collared she came out of uh she came out of uh minnesota and she ended up coming right down wisconsin she went down into illinois she ran over into indiana she hung out for weeks nothing turned around came back up through indy or illinois went up through wisconsin and went into the up of michigan so 
I think a lot of these animals are moving a lot farther distances than most people would give them credit for. Uh, my photo partner and I were working the Mississippi River one day, and by golly, we had a couple of canines on the ice out in the middle of the Mississippi River. And he had a 600-millimeter lens. He put it on him, and we a good camera, so we cropped up the pictures, and by golly, if they weren't young timber wolves heading for Iowa. Oh, wow. So, so there's a lot of mobility that's uh, going on. Typically, states don't uh, announce bear presence till they've been there about five years. That's the general reaction I'm getting from the from the biologists and the people in the wildlife divisions around the country. So that's interesting too. And if Wisconsin and other states can't handle the presence of cougar, how are they going to handle the presence of ape men? Well, so far none of them have. <laughs> Excellent point. <laughs> But, you know, I, my, my, my philosophy has always been if you have a population of, that can support a population, of, if you have wilderness areas that can support a population of black bears, assuming the Sasquatch does indeed exist, you can have a Sasquatch or two. Uh, I, I, I know yeah. my exchange with Dr. John Bindernagel, that was his comments exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And wildlife, even wildlife like wolves and cougars and eastern puma that were thought to be extinct. Um, wildlife doesn't recognize, doesn't recognize borders, so if there's a population of mountain lions north in Canada, eventually they're going to move south. So any place, yeah, any place close to the Canadian border, if you got wolves in Canada, eventually new packs will form south of that border. It's, it's, it's inevitable. There you go. Mm-hmm. By the way, I've got another visual uh, report for you. This is family. Uh, back in 2010 is when I got that initial wah call. And what was interesting about that was uh, that month we had kind of a reunion uh, in the county below us, uh, Crawford County. And I was uh, out with some relatives, and, and we uh, got out, and we just started doing a few wood knocks. I had never really at that point had any success with it, never really tried it much, didn't really know what to think of it. And by golly, after about an hour and a half, I, I had my uh, – one of the younger guys was up the hill, and he slapped a tree with a wood knock with a baseball bat. And on my parabolic, I heard two what I would call Ohio scream roars. And I'm sitting there thinking, now, did I just – did my – did I just – really hear that or was that something that just visualized and I didn't really hear it. I was a little confused, real surprised, didn't know. And of course you don't see what makes the sounds, so there's there's a multitude of options there. But anyway, he comes down the hill, yells at me literally, Holy shit, did you hear that? And I looked at him and I said, Well, that depends upon what you heard and then he went on and he said, I think it was like the Ohio stuff. And I imitated it, and he said, you did hear it. His dad was looking at us like we were both crazy. And uh, we continued on with our surveys, and toward the end of the surveys, um, we we did get a return wood knock. Okay, well, that could be anything. But uh, I gave the parabolic to my cousin. He basically picked it up, and it uh, wasn't too long before he was starting to look a little uncomfortable and said, we've got to go. And okay, no problem. In the morning, he said he'd heard a couple of 
what appeared to be two individuals on two feet heading toward us. And we got really oh. uncomfortable and we left. Well, what's even interesting after that was uh, we had one of our deer hunters pass away. And I missed the funeral. I was working in another area and I couldn't go. But uh, his habit is to, as you drive down the, the river roads, just to look at these hillsides and river bluffs with binoculars, just to see the deer or possibly catch a black bear or whatever. You saw a giant figure step out of the woods, bend over and pick something up, and it was brown in color. And it took him about three days to admit that to me. And I've since got other reports of the activity in along the Wisconsin and along the Mississippi rivers, which we deem as corridors for bear, cougar, wolves, etc. So those are interesting. I need to get to Wisconsin. <laughs> oh, and we can go on and on. There's plenty more. I'm excited about my interview tomorrow with this gal because she's she's had a number of different things happen, and uh, of course it's quite private, and most people are not interested in sharing things where you are ju- your your <laughs> your honesty and your integrity is being judged. So yeah. there's a lot of interesting things going on behind the scenes. I'm just looking to get the uh, secondary evidence to go with it, whether tracks or, or carcass kills with signatures or, or any number of other things that we were looking for. Um, one, of the thing, one of the things that was happening on the private property that was so interesting was they somebody or something was taking the screens off the leaf ducts on top, of, on top of the roof right along the edge and would lay the screens right along the bottom uh, at the base of the house. That was 10 feet in, in difference. Okay, squirrels aren't doing that. We've had statues moved. I sent you a picture of a table that was moved and put up against the house. Um, Some of the leaf or some of the uh, pipes along the edge of the house have been taken off the house and gently laid carefully underneath the clotheslines. And we do have one game cam shot that eventually I'll make sure you get a chance to see. And I, I showed it to a another researcher friend. I've kept this off the internet, but his description was pretty much matches mine. Basically, it's a silhouette shot, and it looks like a Samoan guy who would be on a surfboard. Basically, Samoan neck, a lot of hair, and big wide shoulders. And that's the only time we've had any possible success regarding a game cam. Hmm. And because it's a silhouette, and different people have different interpretations. It can be anything. So I wouldn't put that's much hay on that, but that's that? the biggest problem. That's the biggest problem with ph- photographs, videos, and all other uh, types of such evidence. If the subject in hand is open to interpretation as evidence, it's basically rendered who knows. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we only got five minutes left here, Julie. I want to know what the immediate future holds for Dan and his immediate plans. Continued research. I'll be working with uh, the Ozark fellows in Oklahoma in March. I'll be with them in April in Missouri. And then we're looking at possibly Canada. And then I'm going to be working on collecting evidence uh, in my 13 states. That would be the Dakotas, Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri, then Iowa, Minnesota, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, 
and uh, I believe I got them all, and coordinating with as many other researchers as will have me uh, regarding and studying footprints because I know the more I know about ours, Homo sapiens, the more I can detect differences from the potential target species. So right. those are some of the things I'm working on. As you know, I'm also a professional photographer, so I've got plenty of work to do with, with birdies and amphibians and reptiles. And I'm also invited to head to Panama for a week or two, so we'll see. Where in Canada, then? Uh, I haven't been told yet. Okay. I'm guessing I'm guessing Ontario, but I don't know that for sure. I really want right. to get to Manitoba as well. So, hmm. And actually, I've been invited to photograph grizzly bears out in Alberta, and I know you're not too far from there, and I'd love to love to get out your way at some point. Oh, we'd love to have you in British Columbia for a while, and I think you'd enjoy it. Mm. Oh, I'm sure yeah. I would. Absolutely. And, Julie, I'm coming eventually. We'll get to I we'll know. Get to you. I'm, you know, there's a... There's an open seat for you out here at this fire pit anytime. All right. All right. We'll be in touch over mm-hmm. there, too. So, definitely. Any questions, you guys? Well, I was going to ask you, Dan, um, the area that you guys are in um, right now here in Wisconsin with your, the Ozark Mountain Sasquatch Group, is there a history of sightings in that particular area as well? In Missouri, yes. In Wisconsin, actually, yes. And where I'm working in Wisconsin is right at the Minnesota-Iowa border, so I can flow into the Minnesota area. We've got a lot of prairie in the south, but then it goes into big timber, and you've got, you've got moose, you've got lynx, you've got the Canadian influence in the north. And, of course, there's less people in these places and it takes people to get the Sasquatch reports. So in a state like Ohio, where you've got 10 million people, versus a state like Iowa with 3 million people, you could expect many more reports in the area where there's more, more eyes, I would guess. Um, yeah. Similar states in many ways otherwise. Um, they don't have the Appalachian foothills, of course, but there's a lot of corn in Iowa, and that's a food source and cover and attracts raccoons which is kind of like the universal protein source for Sasquatch yeah. and virtually any state. Yeah, you guys definitely have an abundance of wildlife in Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about that. But, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you what. I'd love to have you back here in a couple of weeks because I want to hear some more. Um, I wanted to kind of hear some of the um, potential the witness testimony that you have taken, um, more of that, and maybe kind of compare that to some of the stuff that happens in North Carolina and some of the stuff that sure. uh, Thomas is familiar with up to, in his area, and, you know, just maybe kind of compare some things. I know you said that um, when you were looking through the floor, you saw something that was, like, l- crawling in the grass. Is that yes. a good way to just... Okay, because I know yeah, that. So unfortunately, the resolution is not what we want, but it certainly right. certainly matched what you would expect with the wide shoulders, etc. Incidentally, okay. when I was in the BFRO, I did a lot of uh, private property work with people that had presence. So we were getting footprints that way and some vocalizations. And I'll have a story for you next time. For uh, we'll call oh, it the Indiana, the Indiana Minnesota connection because I. 
I discarded a vocalization that I'd heard in uh, Indiana, and I'm just like, yeah, right. And 10 months later, I'm in Minnesota working with uh, a local local uh, native police, and by golly, if I didn't run into a guy who described the exact same type of vocalization. Uh-huh. And when I come wow. back, I'll be glad to imitate that for you. I won second place in that- Michigan at the uh, vocalization uh a competition. So it's just kind of fun. Yeah, definitely talk some more about the audio stuff too. And um, I know that here in North Carolina, there's been several reports of seeing these things either on all fours or literally belly crawling oh. through the grass. Yes. So you know, we have that here as well. And I've seen actually I've seen a clip from Texas in the past. Uh, that was privately showed to me that, you know, the resolution is in question. The speed of it is just so fast. Detail isn't there. But, my goodness, it's just real interesting, some of the uh, some of the clips out there. But, again, they're just not detailed enough to make a final call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Tommy I'll tell you, Dan, this it, hour went by real quick. I just happened to look up. I'm like, oh, yeah, and then Thomas is like, we've well, we got five minutes left. It doesn't seem possible. But I'll tell you what, Dan, we really appreciate you coming on the show, taking the time out of your busy schedule, and we look forward to having you back here in a couple of weeks, and and we'll delve into some more. Honored to be helpful, and I'll send on some more interesting images uh, for you. Yes, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And we, and we can talk about other ideas or, or experiences that I've had that, that your listeners might find real interesting. Yes, definitely. And, and Dan and I have been talking for several years through Facebook uh, about different things, sharing information. Uh, I've shared audio that I've recorded with Dan. You know, so I'm, I've been kind of following Dan for the last several several years. And I know that you um, you you've just been so busy out there meeting up with people and taking the reports. So yeah, we're we're definitely excited to have you back. So, but Thomas. Um, this was episode number 39, so episode 40, we'll have Dan back. Sounds good. Sounds good. Pleasure talking to you, Dan. Looking forward to asking you some more. Well, you bet, and uh, honored to work with you all, and uh, really looking forward to uh, sharing more. Great. Well, thank you all for listening. We appreciate your support. Um, and, you know, we've been doing this for going on 40 episodes now, which is unbelievable, and we really appreciate everybody, you know, all the positive feedback we've had over the, the years about the show. And as always, if you have any ideals, comments, questions, or uh, would like to be a guest on the show, you can contact me, julie.wrench at yahoo.com, or reach out to Thomas, though. So, Well, thank you all, and we will see you in a couple weeks.